0: And we, uh, JJ, me and John, I got a chance to to tour around a Bethlehem chapel where he preached. And there's a pulpit. There's his pulpit right there. Actually, it's a remake. That's the actual door he would go through. It's like this big. People were smaller back then. Um, But this was a mighty man of huge stature. In 1415, he was martyred. He was burned at the stake for not um, relenting in preaching the, God's word in their language. Many reformers risk their lives and, and uh, for the same reason. Um, so why the Bible? Why does it cause more division in the world than unity? Why would someone be willing to die to smuggle into the hands of those who can't get it? Why would someone kill that person? Why did the reformers risk their lives or even die for the sake of this Bible so po- common people could read it? Who would someone, or why would someone go to prison for a book that others have buried in a stack of stuff that they don't even read or collects dust? Why the Bible? Why do we spend a a fairly long series on the book of Ecclesiastes, and why are we about to read another, uh, go through another series um, after Labor Day? Why is one of the core pursuits of this church to encounter God in his word? Why upstairs in the kids' ministry right now are they singing songs about God's word and they're going to be studying God's word? Why do we sing songs based on God's word? So how about you? Um, Why the Bible for you? Why do you pick it up and read it? What compels you to read it? Is it obedience? It's not bad. Um, Do you read it because it's what you're supposed to do? Do you read it because you want to? Out of joy, pleasure. How many copies of the Bible do you have in your own language at home? What's your favorite copy? Do you have it with you now? Why the Bible? Maybe some of you are bored with the Bible. Maybe you grew up in the church and you've just, yeah, you think, yeah, I've heard that before. Um, maybe you'd rather go shovel snow or get your teeth cleaned. Um, maybe, maybe you're a post-Bible Christian uh, that you know, really, uh, it, it, at this point, it's just more confusing to you than than helpful. Or maybe you'd like to read it, but you don't know where to start. Or maybe you can't get enough of it. Maybe there's not enough time in the day for you to read scripture, or anywhere in between. If that's you, if you're anywhere in there, this series is for you. This is there's a it's limited time guarantee that this series is for you. Now, here's what the series won't be. Okay, it it, it won't be an apology for the Bible. Um. It won't be a defense of the Bible's accuracy, legitimacy, or historicity, or validity. So if, um, there, that's, there's a good place for that. Um, we don't. That's not the purpose of this series, though. I'm going to assume in this series that this is primarily for people who already understand that they need the Bible, that, that you already understand that, yeah, there's some value and validity to the Bible. I think that's mostly why you're here. At least you're open to it. Um, I'm going to assume that in this series that you believe that the Bible was that that's the book for you and you want to stand on it. Um, however, um, if that is not you, if if you're not sure your need for the Bible um, and you're not sure what the necessity in your life is for it, that's okay. I think my hope and prayer is the same for both people. Um, that uh, when when we're done, that you would be able that you would just be curious. And then you would just be a sponge, and then you will just be asking questions in this series. Um, Both people, a ton of questions. Um, So whether you crack the Bible open every day or um, once a week, or whether you've been reading it 60 years or six days, my hope is that the result of this morning, next week, you'll leave hungrier than when you came in to this room. My prayer is that as a result of this series, you'll have more questions than answers. And that the Bible will be sweeter to you and richer to you than anything else, than it, than it was, than it is now. So here's the simple breakdown of what this two-week series will look like. This week, in part one, uh, the first half of the message will be what the Bible is, and then the second half will be why we should read it. First half, what the Bible is. Second half, why we should read it. And next week, in part two of the series, we'll look at how we should read it. So this week, we have no... Like absolutely no practical aspect at all. You're going to leave frustrated, not knowing what to do, and um, you're just going to be, uh, we're just going to look at it, and uh, those, those of you who like, want to know what to do tomorrow, sorry, you're going to be frustrated. Um, next week, um, they'll be um, all practical, and, and you'll be frustrated because you'll have all these things to do and no reason why. And so that's why the, there's a combination of the two. If you put the two together, you're going to be completely satisfied, whole, and uh, knowing what to do and content while you're doing it. So that's the promise, right? That's a hard, hard call. Um, ready? Are you ready? Here we go. What is the Bible? A friend of yours comes up to you, um, who's never read the Bible, and he asks you to describe it. What would you say? How would you describe the Bible to him or her? How would you sum it up? Maybe you've heard like some of these descriptions. It's a love story. It's a how-to manual. It's God's diary to you. It's a roadmap for life. It's the script for the stage play of life. The Bible Project, I don't know if you're familiar with it, they produce awesome videos. highly recommend them, thebibleproject.org, I believe. Um, Their tagline says, We believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. I think that's a good summary of the Bible. Maybe you've heard this one. It's a Bible acronym, uh, B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before You Leave Earth. um, Before Leaving Earth. And I dislike almost every aspect of that (laughs) Um, because the reason, number one, it's anything but basic. Number two, it's way more than just its instructions. And number three, uh, we're not just waiting to leave earth. We're waiting for the day when we can live together on a new earth under the sun as we've just looked at in Ecclesiastes. Our hope is under the sun when he comes back to make everything new. Um, So sorry if you have that one tattooed on your ankle. Um, but it's important to understand what exactly the Bible is, uh, what is it, So that and, and, and how to think about it, because it profoundly affects how we approach it, right? What is it helps us to know how to approach it, why, and how to read it. I was listening to a Timothy Keller sermon a few years ago called Knowing the Father. It was on a podcast. I recommend it highly. It was very impactful to me, and it has changed the way I think and approach uh, the Bible and and Christianity, how I talk about it to, to people who don't know um, Christ, um, knowing the Father by Timothy Keller, and and that influences what I'm about to say. Um, I just didn't want to plagiarize him, um, so I somehow I got these ideas from hit that sermon. It seems like there are three different and primary ways people approach the Bible uh, that directly affect affect them how they approach it. Number way or number one way, number one. Some people primarily read the Bible to help them with the way they think. So way number one, to help them know how to think. They're more of an intellectual, um, logical, analytical person, and they desire a sound philosophy for life, right? So when they're done with a Bible reading session, they want to think more rightly. That's their primary goal, to think better. In fact, some people, these people might only go to the Bible... When there's a dispute, or an argument to win, or a problem in life to solve, um, or for ammo when they need to do a mic drop on social media, um, way, way number two, so the first one is to, to, to get, go to the Bible to, to learn how to think, way number, number two, some people primarily read the Bible to help them with the way they feel. They're, they're feelers, and when they're done with a Bible session, they want to feel better, they, they, that's a primary goal. And, and they might read the Bible every day, but the goal is to take away an encouraging nugget for the day to feel better. Or maybe they can go to Scripture only, only when their life is cr- crashing and around them, um, and only when they need to feel comforted and encouraged. And then the third way so, thinking, feeling, the third way some people primarily read the Bible to help them with what to do. They're doers. They want to get stuff done. And when they're done with a Bible reading session, they want to know their primary goal is where's the application point? Like, what do I got to do now? Um, what do I got to do tomorrow? In fact, they might only go to the Bible when they need to know if they should do A or B. Or if there's a particular area in their life they need to get better in to adjust a habit or behavior. And can I say that all three of those ways fall short? Reading the Bible primarily to know how to think doesn't work because the Bible and Christianity aren't primarily, um, primarily a philosophy. Reading the Bible primarily to feel better doesn't work because the Bible and Christianity aren't primarily a therapy. And reading the Bible primarily to adjust behavior and act differently doesn't work because the Bible and Christianity aren't primarily a religion. Christianity is primarily a relationship, not a religion, not a therapy, not a philosophy. It's a relationship. Therefore, the primary reason to read this should be to get to know a person, the one who wrote it. The effects of knowing him, the effects of knowing this person are to know how to think and feel and what to do. But they're not the primary reason. The primary reason is to know a person. What happens if you leave here on a Sunday morning, not sure, maybe this morning, not sure of what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to think, how you're supposed to feel on Monday morning in the light of the passage? Was it a waste of your time to be here Um, and think and study on this passage? What happens if you feel worse when you leave than when you came in? Because maybe God had conviction in mind for you rather than encouragement that day. What if, um, what happens if you leave with more questions than when you came in? I say, great. You don't need to be more full when you leave. I believe you need to be more hungry. Um, we need to be more hungry when we leave uh, here on a Sunday morning. Um, if you leave here on a Sunday with all your questions answered each week, I don't think we're doing a great job showing you the transcendent God in his word, um, encountering him. Um, he's infinite. He's massive. And I hope that going through Ecclesiastes, you were left more hungry than full because Ecclesiastes, more than almost any other book in the Bible, leaves you going, what? Like, what did I just, really? You know, that, that, that's my experience with it. Um, I love it. I mean, I love that Ecclesiastes in the Bible. It gives me so much encouragement because I think thoughts like the, the teacher thought, you know, like we just, and like, what is the point you think, what is the point? Um, well, um, it, it leaves us with questions, right? Can anyone in this room say, when thinking about the transcendent God of the universe, uh, in his word, that we have more answers than questions? What if you come here, hear a message, and then leave and, and say, with more questions, and, and, and you're not sure how to feel or think? And, and this, is, this is what you leave with. You leave with a thought, oh my gosh, God, you are so amazing. You are so beyond what I can imagine. What if that's all you left with? Awesome. That's that's your application. Worship. So then you could go into your week thinking about an amazing God that you can't get, but he loves you enough to give you this, like to give you a tiny peek into how massive he is. This is a tiny peek in this massive book. This massive book is a tiny peek into who God is, and he loves us enough to give us his revelation in this book. What is the Bible? It's the primary way we know God. And it's the primary place we can hear his voice. It's stated in our core pursuit, encountering God in his word. Not encountering knowledge, not encountering common sense or comfort uh, primarily, but God, a person. Those things are effects of knowing the person. We worship an overwhelming, inexhaustible God who transcends us in every way. And if the Bible is a primary way to know an inexhaustible God, then it makes sense that reading the Bible to, to see more of God is an inexhaustible task. We'll never have our heads wrapped around this book. Never. Sorry. And I, I, that's frustrating to me because I want to know it. Like when I'm done reading a passage, I just want to like get it. And I don't have to go back to it again because I got it. And that's never happened to me. Every time I read the same passage over and over again, there's more to learn and more to learn and more to learn about who he is because he's inexhaustible. Um, And this presents amazing ironies for us in the Bible. What is the Bible? It's it's the only thing that the more you examine it, the more questions you have. Is there anything else in life like that? That you can think of, I mean, yeah, science you you, know, you can discover things and they're still discovering things but but really, like I think the questions their goal is the questions would narrow, and they'd have all the answers, um, but you try to do that with the Bible, and it's the opposite. you get more questions because God is inexhaustible um, and, and and um and the other irony the other the other thought is that um, uh, because Uh, What is the Bible? The Bible is the only food that the more you have, the hungrier you get. It's the only food that the more you have, the hungrier you get. There's nothing else like that in the world. There's no other food like that because you're feeding on an endless source of nourishment, namely God. So what is the Bible? It's the primary place where we hear God's voice. So yes, the Bible is a love story. Yes, it's a unified story that leads to Jesus. It is a guide. It is instruction, it's a light, it's a mirror, it's the true fairy tale upon which other fairy tales are based. The hero slays the dragon and and marries the beautiful bride after rescuing her from the dungeon and brings her to the castle to live happily ever after. Every fairy tale um, is based on truth. Um, we're, we don't have original thoughts. Uh, we, 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 they're given to us by a God who wrote this story. And, and so, um, but primarily, all those things might be true, but primarily it's where we meet God and hear his voice. And that's the main point. That's, that's it. If you take away nothing else from today, that's the thing to take away. Um, this is the place to meet God and to hear his voice. So our next question, why the Bible? Why should you want to read the Bible? Why should we want to read it? And, uh, well, I won't give any disclaimers. We're just going to go. Answer number one. Because you want to hear from God. Based on what we just thought about, um, the number one reason why you should want to read the Bible is because you want to hear from God. And you do. Trust me, you want to hear from from God. Uh, He knows you best. He loves you the most. Don't you want to hear from someone like that? Who knows you, all your flaws, and still loves you more. Don't you want to hear his voice? One way to sum up the story of the Bible is actually, and there's countless ways to sum up the story of the Bible, um, is that it's a story about a battle of voices. It's a story of, of, of a battle of voices. It's a story of God speaking increasingly louder until man starts to listen and I, didn't, I haven't actually thought about the Bible this way completely until this week, just thinking about it. Um, the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures are a series of events where Yahweh God speaks. His people usually don't listen, starting in the garden. Uh, they listen to a voice of another. And then he speaks louder through prophets and other ways. And they still don't listen. And then they get exiled into, um, out, out, out of the promised land. And then one, the ones who listen, they do come back, but then they stop listening again. So God speaks loudest when he sends Jesus, the living word. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, I think we have this on the screen. Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God speaking through the prophets, the Old Testament. Um, and... Long ago, he spoke to the the fathers by, uh, by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. The word becomes flesh. This is God speaking the loudest, Jesus. The fundamental fabric of reality at the bottom of everything is God's voice, his word. And Jesus is that word in the flesh. So I read this quote before, but I love it. So I'm going to read it again. I'm sorry. Uh, it's from Indy Wilson's book, uh, Notes from a Tilt-A-Whirl. Um, I love this book, but it's not an easy read because it's kind of artsy and kind of poetic-y. And maybe you don't like that kind of thing. But if you like that kind of thing, tell me or ask me and I'll, I'll point out. It's, it's really good. It's, it's expanded how I view God and, and as I'm reading his word, too. But here's a quote. He says, I look around at the stuff. This is not up there, so just listen. Um, I look around at the stuff of the world, and I ask myself, what is it made of? Words. Magic words. Words spoken by the infinite. Words so potent, spoken by one so potent that they have weight and mass and flavor. They are real. They have taken on flesh and dwelt among us. They are us. In the Christian story, the material world came into existence at the point of speech, and that speech was ex nihilo, which is Latin for for, from nothing. God did not look around for some cosmic goo to sculpt or another god to dice and recycle. He sang a song. He composed a poem, began a novel so enormous that even the Russians are dwarfed by its heaped-up pages. Have you read Dostoevsky or one of those guys? It's like thicker than the Bible. You are spoken. I am spoken. We stand on a spoken stage. I'm still quoting him. The spinning kind, the round kind, the moist kind, the kind of stage with beetles and laughter and babies and dirt and snow and fresh cut cedar. You are made of cells. I am made of cells. My cells are built on molecules. My molecules make use of atoms. My atoms are mostly space, but the bits that aren't are called quarks. This is talking about quantum mechanics now. My quarks are standing because they're obedient. They've been told to by a voice they can't disobey. I'm real. I'm heavy. I matter. Cut me and I'll bleed. But I'm not made out of anything, uh, just anything. And if the magician, the poet, the word, if the singer were to stop his voice, I would simply cease to be. Andy Wilson notes from the Tilted World. In the beginning, the quote is done now. In the beginning, word, words came on the breath of a voice from a person who, when he speaks, things are made. Genesis 1, things are held together or things fall apart. People gather, people scatter. I'm just like whisking through the Bible every place where God speaks. Day and night, light and dark, land and sea, and sheep and goats are separated at his voice. When this voice, this word became a human in John 1, we see that, flesh that, that the flesh that was also spoken into being knit together in his mother's womb, Mary. And when this word grew, when he spoke, people said, no one ever spoke like this man. John 7, 37, no one ever spoke like this man. Waters and wind obeyed the same voice that brought them into being, Mark 4. At the voice of the shepherd, sheep come, John 10. At his voice the dead will rise in John 5 he says that. And when he speaks people fall on their face in terror. John 18:6 When they came to arrest him he said I am he and they fell. And people stand up at his voice when he says fear not. And a sharp sword comes out of his mouth to judge and slay the wicked in Revelation nineteen and this voice all create added this voice all creation, heaven and earth, and all that fill them will be remade at the moment when he simply says, Behold, I have made all things new Revelation twenty one. The Bible is all about God's voice and a battle over humanity. Which voice are we going to listen to? There's so many competing voices in this world, right? Are we going to listen to his voice? the one that can create, sustain, do all that. Hebrews 1.3 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That literally means he is continually carrying along all things right now by the word of his power. And if he stopped speaking, we're toast. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. How are they held together? By his voice, by his words. He's speaking and he's sustaining us by his word, the living word. We we read Psalm 19 earlier. Um, So you can can actually put a finger in Psalm 19 um, because we're gonna refer to it here. Um, and, And Heidi didn't read this part, but the first part of Psalm 19, one and two says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Verse three, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Verse four, I'm just going to keep reading their measuring line or another way to translate that is voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. See, that's what um, theologians and we call general revelation. So God in his creation is speaking but then later, what, what, what Heidi did read, verse seven says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And then there's verse after verse of talking about God's word. And that's what we call specific revelation, how God speaks to us. Not just in creation, in the mountains and the stars, but he speaks to us directly in here. It's all about his voice. The word testimony, um, notice that there's all these different words, law, testimony, precepts. The word testimony here means witness, and and it connotes something like his voice. It's his voice speaking to us in his word. So why the Bible? Here's the primary reason, because you want to hear from God. You really do. I do. We should. We should want that. And that's the, really the main point of the message, um, but and, and I'm about to say um, these other reasons they're following, and, and, and for those of you that like to take notes or think in outline form, um, I don't want you to get frustrated because we're just kind of kind of go through several different maybe possible reasons, and there's hundreds of reasons why we should read the Bible, I believe. So, so just if something hits you, write it down, but don't feel like you have to like you know, scramble everything. If you want, if, if you miss something, um, I can send you my sermon notes if you want. I'm not, not pretending that they're going to be so interesting, but it, it's interesting because God's word is interesting, right? Um, so second reason why you want to read the Bible. Because you want to be alive. Because you really want to be alive. So keep, keep a finger at Psalm 19 and go back to Psalm 1, which, which Heidi read just a few pages back to the left. Or, you know, scroll back on your device. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And get this, verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. You want to read the Bible because you want to be alive. Um, He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Have you ever seen a cottonwood tree growing next to a river? So um, we moved to Windsor about uh, 14 years ago. And you know, no one—you're never supposed to plant a cottonwood tree in, in your in your yard. Um, that's that's a no-no. But we did. Um, but it was supposed to be a cottonless cottonwood tree. Um, but the last couple of years, it decided to be a cotton cottonted <laughs> cottonwood tree. No, it actually. Our neighbors aren't too happy with this. but um, it's massive. It's like huge. It, it, we, we when we planted it 14 years ago it was five feet tall, and now it's probably 50. And I actually, it's so big, I actually built a tree house for my six foot seven, 230 pound son in it. Um, and so we can, my whole family, there it is. So like, and, and you, I, I try to put the phone down and, and you can't even see the top of it, but that's 14 years old. Um, the roots are like doing a blitzkrieg across the, the backyard. It's, it's don't, don't plant a cottonwood, but I like them. We like shade and we like tree houses and stuff like that. And if you want to come over and hang out on our treehouse, just let me know. Um, you want to live. Um, we want to live. We want purpose. We want, um, and, and so the psalmist is using garden language, like a tree that's, uh, that has fruit, that yields fruit in its season. I mean, when you think of like what is alive and you think of it's strong and, and, and flourishing, it's a tree by water, right? And he's saying that if you meditate on this day and night, you will be truly alive. You will prosper. You will produce fruits. One of the greatest frustrations in life, isn't it, when you feel like you're doing something for no purpose and you feel like you're, there's no fruit in what you're doing. Um, it might not be our definition of word to prosper, like retirement, savings, vacations, cars, but it does mean fruit, purpose, meaning, life, eternal fruits. Y'all want to be alive, right? You don't want to just exist. That's why you want to read this. It's a promise the Bible has, a self-claim of the Bible. Third reason for the Bible, because you want what's real. Because you want what's real, right? Authentic, no pretense. Reading and meditating on the Bible, God's word, his voice, helps you fight against feeling like a plastic, fake, happy, clappy Christian. The Bible doesn't let if you really read the Bible, it doesn't let you be fake. Psalm 13, 1 through 2. Consider these verses. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Do you ever feel that way? How long have you been praying for that one thing and God hasn't answered? And you're going, How long, God? Can you be honest with him? The, Bible, the Bible's honest with him. That's why we need it. Or how about Psalm 139? It's one of my favorites. You know, it's, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Um, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You, you, you saw my unformed substance. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. You know the one we quote a lot. Um, the one, I, I just love it. I wake and I'm still with you. Now, how about this? Psalm 139, uh, 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. That's the same psalm. Uh, o oh God, O oh men of blood, depart from me. Do I not hate those who hate you? O oh Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. That's the same psalm. Why don't we put that on plaque? You know, why don't, we, why don't we put that up on the wall in the children's area? Um... <clears throat> the Bible is real. Or Psalm 88, 13 through 18. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. Or Lamentations 3, you know the great song we sing Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy, your hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And right before that, Lamentations 3 10 through 11, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. This is speaking of that same God who's great in faithfulness, whose mercies are new. How could that be? I mean, that should produce questions in our mind because the Bible is real and raw and and makes you blush and makes you turn away. He He gives voice to our anguish in the Bible. In the Psalms, especially. Do you ever cry out to God? Do you ever feel so crappy, so despairing, so depressed that you wonder whether or not you've actually ever hoped in the Lord before? Um, and why you ever would again? I felt that. I've prayed not that long ago in, in tears. Lord, I'm ready. Take me. I'm ready. I, I, I can't take this anymore. Have you ever prayed that? And you don't have words Have you ever been so crushed that there's no one to understand your pain? But the Bible does. The psalmists do. Jesus, the living word, does. Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Jesus needed real words to speak that day, so he quoted this because they became his words. And they were his words through David. You need the Bible because you need what's real. Sometimes there's just not words, and the Bible gives them to us. Number four why do you need the Bible? Because you're stupid. I took the Jordan Peterson personality test this week that said I tend to be blunt, um, and it said I was moderately low on agreeable. Sixty-seven out of 100 people were more agreeable than me. So um, there you go. I, I didn't like that test. I thought it was wrong. Um, so Psalm 197. Psalm 197, go back to Psalm 19:7. It says, "The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We need the Bible because we're simple-minded. We don't know anything. We don't know where we're going. We're just pretend, I mean, Proverbs 3 says, don't lean on your own understanding. Be not wise in your own eyes. I don't know about you, but my, eye, but my eyes, I think I'm pretty wise in my eyes. Just like this test I took, you know, I thought I was a pretty agreeable person. Um, you know, we, we, we are, we are deceit. We need clarity. We need wisdom. This is the source. We need the Bible because we're stupid. Number five, why do we need the Bible? Because you're disagreeable. We're all disagreeable. Psalm 19, 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. We need the Bible because we're discontented. We're a discontented lot. Surely never before in the history of all of the world have there been more opportunities and pleasure and entertainment and food and options at our fingertips. And yet we're a people that, and, and a people that grumbled and complained about what is so wrong in this world. Never, never before in the history of the world probably has that happened like it is happening right now? We are the walking example of first world problems, that phrase, first world problems. And when everything goes wrong in our lives, like the Wi-Fi is not working, our latte is too cold, we don't have enough shots of vanilla in it, our crossover AC is not keeping up, that woman walking on the stroller across the street in front of us is keeping us from our spa treatment. Um, when everything goes wrong, we need to remember, we need to go to the Bible, um, Because the precepts of the Lord are right, and it rejoices the heart. We're disagreeable, and we need to rejoice more. We have nothing to complain about. We have a Bible in our own language, and there's freedom to read it. Number six, there's only a couple more. Why the Bible? Because gold is too cheap, and honey is too bland. Psalm 19, 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. In Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, all about the Bible, over and over again says the, the word should be our delight and our we should take pleasure in it and it's sweeter than honey, finer than gold. Do we actually believe that? Is that why we come to this? Do we crave this more um, you know, there's a lot of different words. Like we talked about, there's the law and the testimony and precepts and commandments. And and law is a really poor, I mean, it's it's a hard translation for us. It It actually means instruction or direction. And so when we see the word law in the Bible, think instruction, not like rules and commandments. There are rules and commandments in God's law, but his law is instruction. So think of your daddy. Think of your father who, you know, through the course of your life, if you had a good father or think about, you know, what a father should be and and one who gives you advice sometimes and one who tells you stories sometimes and one who comforts you with his words sometimes and one who gives you rules sometimes. And that's why there's so many words because we have a father who's speaking to us in many different ways, not just like you should do that, you shouldn't do that. It's sweeter than honey. It's gold and and, and finer than gold. I think gold and mountains and stars God created to be so amazing, but to use them in comparison with himself, and they always fall short. We need the Bible because gold is too cheap and honey is too bland. And last one, number seven. Why the Bible? Because Google doesn't care about you. Um, Many people here spend more time Googling and reading information online than they do searching the scriptures, How many voices are we hearing online? The author of the novel you're reading at home didn't write to you. Um, She wouldn't have published the book if she knew only you would read it. J.K. Rowling didn't sacrifice her child so that you could get her books. Um, She had this rags-to-riches story. She's the first author who became a billionaire. um, And she's still making money. She's still making books. Yes, she's a philanthropist. She's she's given a lot of it away. That's great. That's awesome. I'm not bashing her at all. She's great. But she didn't think of you when she wrote, write, wrote her book. The author of this book was a billionaire um, and sold it all. He went from riches to rags and put himself in the pages and let the antagonist have his, do his best um, to k- crush him and did it all so the re- readers, you and I, could become billionaires. And we're not seeing any royalties from any other book we're reading. I guarantee you. Ben Shapiro, Joe Rogan, Rogan, uh, Rush Limbaugh, Tim Keller, Rick Warren, uh, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, whatever book you're reading, um, they don't care about you. (laughs) Uh, I mean, they they care in general about you, but not about you. Um, They don't know you. This, This author knows you. This author knows me. Psalm 139, 16 your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Why the Bible? Because Google doesn't care about you, because gold is cheap and honey is too bland, because you're disagreeable, because you're stupid, because you want what's real, because you want to be alive, and the greatest reason, because you want to know God and hear his voice. Amen. Psalm, I'm going to close with this and we'll pray, and the band will come up. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. We'll read this one more time. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, delight, is in the instruction of the Lord. And on his instruction, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Let me pray. Dear Father, we um, thank you for your voice in these pages. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you, the author of our lives, the author of this book, the author of everything we see, love us enough to show us a little peek of who you are in this massive book. And Lord, I pray for this week and the next week as we maybe think about your word differently or look into it more than usual, I pray that you would show us yourself. And as a result, maybe maybe we leave knowing better how to think or how to feel or what to do. But God, if not, Lord, we just want to come away amazed by who you are, to hunger after you, to, to, to think of you as sweeter than anything, to think of you as finer than gold. God, may it be so for all of us. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name.